Hi, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Two episodes ago, I we talked about the scenario that plays out in Mark chapter 14, uh, where there is this woman, uh, and we know from other contexts she's Mary, uh, that comes in and puts perfume on Jesus, and there's some pushback, uh, specifically, and again from from other contexts, I believe Judas is the one that says, "Hey, this could have been sold uh, and paid for the poor," and Jesus responds, and we've we talked through that. I thought it would be interesting for us to cover the context after the fact, after the after talking about the conversation. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be just looking at four verses, and it's Mark chapter 14, 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10 uh, and 11. So yeah, excited for that. I've always wondered, I don't know if you've ever done this, like... Did you, have you ever said something? And you're like, I wonder if that's the first time any, anybody's ever said that. I've also I've always wondered that with the Bible. I was like, is this the first time? Like, how many people have ever been like, okay, you know, we talked through verses uh, three through nine. Now we're gonna do like, is it how many? Like, you gotta imagine the numbers are pretty low through the course of Christianity of two thousand years, like under a hundred. You know, I would say maybe. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know. I'm always fascinated by that. You know. Yeah. Anyways. I, I do think there there is that dynamic where. I, I'm always uh, disappointed is probably too strong, but I have taught lessons or even series of lessons and somebody will come to me and say, oh, you must be reading such and such. And I'm Dang like, it. I'm like, no, what, who, who is this? And they'll tell me and they can't believe I'm not reading it because yeah. it's so in line with what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, is there any new thought? Yeah. So it's, it's the great, it's, it's the great sadness and the great comforter that we are not going to be able to say anything new here. Um, and that's sad because I, I mean I like I like saying new things I like hearing new things but it's also comforting to know that like we have two thousand years of history backing us up and you know I, I doubt God's gonna be like yeah that that went that uh, we record on Wednesdays that Wednesday when you said that Connor who man nobody had ever <laughs> first time first time I knew you were gonna say it before months. time began but man first so anyways so the verses so the verses. Uh, Starting verse one, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Jumping down to verse 10, then Judas, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Jason, what amazes you? As with every time we do this, I'm always trying to ask myself uh, in real time what amazes me. And that may be what amazed me a week ago or 10 years ago. Uh, but just to be fresh and allow God to, to teach me, allow his spirit to teach me while we're going. And these verses on their own, they don't seem that amazing. Like any time you have a short passage, you're like, what is this? But that's why it intrigues me to even study it. I think what's jumping out uh, to me right now uh, is this dynamic of... Uh, of the plot that's going around, going going on around this situation of such beauty. You have Jesus doing mm. these beautiful things, and it amazes me. And, and, and it's the kind of amazing that it's like, oh, it's shockingly sad, you know, that the Pharisees are so blind. 
um, to this. And, and this is part now, their motivation starts before this. And just keep in mind, this is this happens later. You know, of course, Jesus says in, in the story, he says, look, she's preparing me for my burial. That doesn't happen right then, like the next day. But this is deep into Jesus' ministry. So the Pharisees have been thinking about this. This is one of those times, though, it's so clearly articulated, they're going to kill him. And it's like, yes, it's because they fear their power. And I know they're focusing on um, these points of interaction where he, you know, rebuts their efforts or or pushes back or makes them look foolish. And there's a lot of fear tied up in there. But how how much it just mars their perspective on the beauty hmm. of what he's of what he's doing. Not not just here, um, but how they just can't see. I mean, that that's the thing. It's again, it's it's usually I'm amazed and it's like happy amazement. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. But this is that kind of amazement that it's just like. Man, these men are not evil men, but they are so blinded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, then that that makes me immediately reflect: How am I blinded? That's good. You know what is it I'm so sure of? Yeah, I think I think it's something we always have to keep in front of us. Uh, it, it is like as Christians, it is we, like we we are called, and I think we are compelled by the Holy Spirit um, to call out injustice, to speak against wicked acts and to try to remedy and try to rescue people, try to help them out of oppression and to to love them through that. And as people who want to love well and who want to, who want to, you know, help people out of hard times and help people um, experience the goodness of life and, and what God has for them, I think it's really easy to, to begin to be like, well, those are other than. The Pharisees are other than, right? They, they, might, they have, like, it's, they, it's almost like they become a separate species, right? It's almost like they become this, this separate entity from, from who we are. And, and the reality is, I think, um, I think for me, they, there's a very real possibility that if I, you know, my, my brain as a baby had been transported and put into, uh, you know, the Pharisees brain when they were a baby and I grew up and experienced the things they grew up, there's a very real chance I would have had the same sort of reaction and the same sort of feelings and done the same sort of things that the Pharisees did. Uh, the, this is always one of those things just keeping us in front of us. The thing that separates me from being, um, there's no biology, right? that separates me from being the the guard in a Nazi concentration camp. There's no magical switch that goes, oh, this is the evil switch that flips, or oh, this is the homicidal switch that flips. We can try to, you know, this is one of those things we always try to think with, um, you know, with like specifically Nazi Germany. Well, you know, there's just this other kind of evil, and it was horrific and evil, but all those German soldiers weren't psychopaths. They all weren't sociopaths, right? They all like didn't have these specific conditions. And how, so how did all these people commit these atrocities? One, it's just, we're not going to get into, into how, but the reality is that they all could and all did participate, which means that we all have the possibility of committing evil acts and being a part of evil um, enterprises. And so I think this is just one of those things to keep in front of us, always keep in front of us, especially when we talk about scripture, um, because like, I know we make fun of Peter a lot, but like, there's a very real possibility we put into Peter's shoes, we would have some of the same sort of reactions that Peter had, we'd have some of the same sort of thoughts that Peter had. And I know that's, I know that's the case with the Pharisees for me. I, I think that is such a tremendous point. And I think of it from, you know, man, how could you, be a Christian during slavery and justify that? How could you be a Christian during, um, 
any any period in our in our life, you know, even Jim Crow laws and things like this, and say that's fine, you know, that's fine that we mm-hmm. that we're not, you know, how does your love not overcome, mm-hmm. you know, and say, man, I know culture is saying this, but man, I've got, and certainly there were Christians yeah. that were like love dominated them, and they pushed back, yeah, and and they were right in that, and almost certainly wrong in another area, yeah, absolutely true. And then when I apply it to me, though, and this I remember thinking this a while ago and thinking, what am I on the wrong side of that I'm so convinced I'm on the right side? Of? And here's the thing. It's not to make us paranoid. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really to keep us teachable. At the root of the Pharisees' problem, they have the same problem that I've had most of my life that says, I know. Oh, I know. You know. So if you come along and say almost, almost anything to me, especially about how to do church, you know, you know, we should really be doing this. Oh, yeah, I know. Or you're wrong. I mean, there's only two right answers there. Either I already know you can't tell me anything or you're wrong. And that's that's pharisaical. I mean, that is the heart of the pharisaical problem. And the thing is, these people have earned the right to say they've studied a lot. What they didn't earn was the right to say they were done learning from God. Now, again, they didn't see it that way. They thought, well, God has already taught me. God has already taught me what a what a, a Messiah would look like. God has already taught me how to work with Roman government and how to how to run things. You know, and I do this same thing. And man, having kids as they grow up, one of the things that's been so good for me is realizing, man, I'm teaching my kids, but my kids are teaching me. Yeah. You know, and God works with my kids differently than he works with me. And just like he works differently with every human being. And for me to assume that it's going to be the same I am actually working against the very way that he designed them and me. Mm-hmm. But if I can keep a teachable spirit, the teaching that God is giving them that is unique for them, I can learn from. Yeah. And I think it comes from the posture of the Pharisees here. Why, why does it say like they're like they're not going to confront Jesus here? It's because they're afraid of the people. They're afraid of what could happen. Why, why do they want to confront Jesus? It's because they're afraid of what will happen if Jesus starts a revolution. They will lose power because Rome will crack down. And they're afraid, they're afraid, they're afraid. They're operating out of fear, right? They're, they're not looking for the love. They're not looking for the good. They're not looking for po- – they don't have a posture of learning. Their posture is we have to protect what we have right now. And that's not a posture of God. Like the posture of a, of a disciple, of somebody who wants to follow God is God. God, this is all yours. Use it how you will. Use it. Use me. Use what I have to grow, to learn, to become whatever it is. And we all we all have the situation where like somebody comes to us who like like you said, it's so easy to to have that reaction of I know or you're completely wrong. And the like the reason that comes up so often is because I think so much of us so much of the time we all operate with a scarcity mentality, right? That, you know, when it's and when it's the realm of the church of like, well, I've got to protect the members that we have. Well, I've got to protect, you know, the donations, you know, the tithing that we're getting. I've got to protect the way we do things. I've got to protect my image, my family's mentality. I've got to protect my job. I've got to, whatever the thing is. And the thing that I think that is so important that we keep in front of us is that God does not act, God does not exist on a scarcity model, right? Like if we believe that our God is miraculous and that the Holy Spirit is somebody that can you know can conjure uh, conjure up something out of nothing, then scarcity scarcity does. I mean, I don't want to seem like well, we don't ever have to worry about anything or don't have to ever save money or anything like that. But if our mindset is God is going to provide, our mindset is that our mindset is that God is going to provide and that. God is operating not out of fear, not out of fear that we're going to get things wrong or not out of fear that we're going to mess them up, but out of um, a forward momentum and not – what basically it boils down to, 
so much of the time we 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 operate on a backwards fo- focus on a um, how to protect, how to um, how to keep what we have here and now. And God is so much more forward and pushing forward. God is so much more interested in pushing you into into greater and greater dependence on Him. I, I think that's hundred percent. And I think that one of the dynamics I keep thinking about is when I get afraid of the future, I'm trying to figure it out. And it's not bad, it's not evil to figure, but but that idea of I need to choose to trust him with this, with that yeah. figuring. Uh, and that's that's the rub. So what about you? What amazes you? Yeah, I, I it had an amaze. It was it was the initial amazement that you had about the. Um, this is not what I had originally, but after you said this, the the fact that the fact that God can weave beauty in the midst of disaster, in the midst of evil intentions, uh, is just never going to stop amazing me. Mm. Um, I know, like we've talked about it, I think a lot recently. Maybe maybe in the podcast, maybe just conversations Jason and I have had. But I don't know how Jesus gets anything accomplished uh, in the last week of his life. I mean, to know, to know what's coming, to know the pain and and the feet and to have the the fear, um, to have the anxiety, to 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 not want it, um, for him to not be paralyzed is is absolutely incredible to me. And it just reinforces you, you you bringing that up reinforces me, uh, reinforces for me how amazing um, what this woman did for Jesus. Uh, I, like I think about it, and I just think of 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 what it is. You know, there's so many times I've had the experience where somebody will do something for me. Um, somebody will bring me a cup of coffee or they'll bring me, a you know, a candy bar or whatever uh, to, you know, at work or whatever. Or a friend does it or a friend invites me over. And most of the time it's like, well, that, that was nice of that person. I appreciate the cup of coffee. I appreciate the food or whatever. Um, but if somebody does that, like, and I'm really going through something, like I feel isolated, I feel alone, um, you know, I had a big fight or I lost somebody or I'm, or there's I'm waiting back to hear uh, from a, lo- a, fa- a loved family member is possibly dying and somebody just reaches out with a cup of coffee or somebody reaches out and just with some nice some something that honors me as a human being and sees me for who I am. That thing that before was like, oh, that's pretty cool, becomes this momentous thing for me. Um, and, and seeing that now in this in this new light for Jesus is just is just absolutely incredible and it, and it just reinforces how how big um, we can be if we're really picking up on on what the Holy Spirit is trying to do um, and like we have this sense of well if the Holy Spirit is moving then there's not going to be any bad things right the Holy Spirit's moving then there's going to be an avoidance of negativity and there's going to be an avoidance of all that is evil and I think the thing we keep seeing through Scripture is not that not that the Holy Spirit is 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 causing the evil but the Holy Spirit is is weaving into into all of creation. Um, God, God is weaving in the goodness. God is weaving in um, the hopefulness, the, the, the ultimate, um, I, I can't even put it into words, but like I just think that there's so much beauty in that, um, in, in that reality that you kind of help paint for me. So thank you for that. Oh, no, that's, that's interesting. And, and I think I, I like that, and it leads into what perplexes me I, because – with that, what perplexes me is Judas is right there. We know later that with the tomorrow in their timeline or the next day um, that Jesus is going to be at a table with Judas, and he's like, one of you will betray me. And I'm like, all he's got to do is say, hey, Judas, before you go, can we talk for a minute? 
this is this is perpetually. I was going to say eternally, but eventually, if I care, in, when I'm in the presence of God, if I care, I'm going to ask this. This is going to be one of my first questions. You know, more than human suffering, more than that, it's like. Why did you not say to Judas, "Hey, this is not going to go well for you"? <laughs> and and maybe he did. I I, yeah. I can't say, but it's not recorded that Jesus has knowledge this is happening at some point at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just think I would like there to be a section where Jesus pulls Judas aside and he says, "You really got to think this through," and Judas explains himself. Mm-hmm. And and I I can ascribe rationale and try to give Judas the benefit of the doubt. But it's more Jesus's behavior that perplexes me. Yeah. Is this idea, and then it makes me wonder. I carry guilt over. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing premarital counseling for a couple, and some there's a glitch. There's a little bit of something that's off, and I ask a question about it, and they mm-hmm. say yes or no or whatever th- that that would satisfy the question. But in my spirit, I'm like, man, is this is this you know should I should I say more? And mm-hmm. I'll I'll double down, but now I feel like I'm intrusive, and I'm like, well, you know, all I can do is ask them. You know, they can yeah. lie to me if they want. And then three years later, they get a divorce, or a month later. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't track every personal every record wedding. for worst premarital counseling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I'm like, am I doing my job at all? And you know what I mean? This kind of thing. Yeah. And and for Jesus to know that imminent disaster, Jesus mm-hmm. loves Judas, and Jesus is love, you know, yeah. in the same way that God is. So I know it's not unloving, and it's honoring, and part of loving is giving people a choice. So I just wonder to to you, Connor, yeah, to the, our yeah. listeners, who is it in your world that you feel guilty about that, well, if I could have done this or should have done that, and here you have Jesus, that I just think, man, you could have made things so much better for Judas. And and that's an assumption. You know, I don't know. But but it is, it's perplexing that we don't have some record of him saying anything to Judas about it except go and do what you need to do. Yeah, no, that, and that, that is, that is very difficult. Yeah, I think about, so if you, so you're a minister of a church, and let's just say like a, some a prominent member of your a prominent member of people that you're discipling, um, you find out that almost certainly for sure they're planning to have an affair. Like they're you know they like developed closeness with somebody that is not their their spouse, and you know for a fact that like they're they're probably gonna they're gonna act out on it. Given the chance, they're going to act out on it. As somebody that's discipling them. Um, I, I think, and I, I don't rightly or wrongly, I, I would, I would, I don't, I would assume rightly, you would almost be guilty of negligence and duty for not, for not saying, for for not stopping it, or or at the very least having that confrontation, um, and maybe the confrontation for Jesus, and we will talk about something. Maybe the confrontation for Jesus is is that opportunity he gives and says, hey, one of you will betray me. Uh, maybe that's the confrontation. Maybe that's the allowing for a chance of like, yeah, that's um, a good point. I, it, it it could be, but I I definitely think there's some interesting. Um, there's just an interesting aside here for the fact that Jesus is just so um, – it's so funny. When it comes to other people's situation, other people's life, I want Jesus to be so much more controlling. And when it comes to my life, I, I just – I don't – I want him to be less controlling. 100%. Um, That's but so it, true. But even for even for Judas, and Judas has an absolutely tragic story. Um, and, it, I mean, it's it, it makes me sad how, how Judas has become this, you know um, – the, how Judas be, has become synonymous with with what has become synonymous with it, it makes me it, it breaks my heart, um, it breaks my heart for him. But I, I really there is there is a fascinating thing here of like of Jesus knowing, um, yeah, j- yeah. They, I mean, it, it, there's a thousand places to go. There's a thousand places to go with that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that this this dynamic, it, it just raises the question for me, why this even causes me angst mm-hmm. is that I'm asking myself, how responsible am I for the people I'm discipling mm-hmm. to protect them from their own sin, to warn them, to what is overreaching and yeah. what is, you know, because I come from a culture of micromanaging, uh, you know, oh, you want to be you want to be a member here. We're going to tell you all to do and don't let us catch you doing sin or we will ostracize you or, you know. And uh, so, you know, the tendency, of course, is go to the other side of the pendulum and saying, hey, hands off, you do what you want. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is not doing that. And you you made a good point, you know, him to even call it out in front of everybody at this very pivotal supper. I mean, you're doing the, the Passover is, is a time where you and we're not getting into that right now, but it's a time where you reflect on how good God is to you and yeah. and how much God has done. And it's a time of, of you know, repentance. And, and one of the most kind of, important, probably the second most important day on the Jewish calendar. Yeah, exactly. It's a recentering time. So Judas is betraying Jesus in the middle of that reflection. And in that Jesus said, hey, I want to call this what it is. You are a traitor. So that's really helpful to me. Even just what you said, I'm like, oh, yeah, that that is true. So mm-hmm. so with that in mind, what perplexes you? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this perplexes me, and it also m- might confirm something that I've I've long suspected. So the the dynamic at play in the last week of Jesus' life of him walk of him riding in triumphantly of having these throngs of people be there for him, um, and for the Pharisees who would have had a pulse in the city who would have known what was going on that they're afraid that if they openly arrest Jesus if they don't have a good reason if they don't come at a good time that there will there will be a riot that happens. Um, it is so fascinating that Jesus and perplexing that Jesus that okay if the Pharisees had been stupider and arrested Jesus at the wrong time that in the name of Jesus not like a thousand years later in a crusade but in the name of Jesus when he's alive there would have been a riot which would have inevitably led to people dying and being maimed and hurt um that that is utterly fascinating wow because i i i you know it, i look back and i there's very real um griefs and and problems with church history of people committing violence in the name of Jesus and there's this sense if I go back to the first century the second century when there you know when it was only people who were oppressed and all this other stuff and I'm not saying all those people in Jerusalem were Christians or saved or whatever you want to want to say um but I think you could also say the same thing about um people today in churches who abuse people or people in churches who are so entrenched in nationalism or so entrenched in whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, or the same thing with the crusades of where those people, were those people actually following Jesus. Um, but these things are still done in Jesus name. These p- things are still done um, under, under that umbrella, not, not that Jesus endorses it. And so that's just really perplexing to me um, that if the Pharisees had made a wrong turn, the first example of of that sort of, we do see the first example of like christian violence i guess when peter cuts off the guard's ear but the the first like that could have been something that happened in jesus lifetime um it, it it it's perplexing but it also helps confirm to me that what we experience is not new right when we look around to the world and we see problems with that church or, or the, that movement or that group of people um that we just go, man, they're not seeing it. They're not getting the picture. Or we even look at our own group, man, we're not seeing this. We're not seeing that. We're not getting the picture. There, there's something that's that's really helpful to know that there are people who were seeing the physical Jesus, who were hearing him preach, who were seeing him, uh, you know, t- turn turn over tables, who were seeing him um, be this radical figure. And they were st- there. There were people. There were very real concerns that these people who saw Jesus um, would then turn around and start rioting. Um, that that's perplexing man that is just something i have never ever thought of never heard 
uh, is how, you know, and, and I'm applying it broader now, even how delicate the balance is that God is, is working on here, that this could have erupted in violence. If Jesus hadn't immediately corrected Peter, would one of the apostles been killed and then an apostle kills a soldier and then all of a sudden that spills over to the city or in this particular case the scenario you're imagining um where you know the the you know this is an ironic way to say it where the pharisees weren't smart yeah <laughs> you know about their their scheming and also about that their killing of god <laughs> yeah that that is that is really fascinating you know here in tulsa we've had several things happen over the years mm-hmm. where i just felt like and the last of which was of course the the centennial of the race massacre um you know i i read multiple news outlets that were like yeah tulsa is going to be a tinderbox this weekend so this was just last last weekend or mm-hmm. two weekends ago and it's just, I mean, the expectation, there are people carrying assault rifles all through the streets of Tulsa, you know, down near the Greenwood area, and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. I know police and officers. That was, that was what happened before with, um, what was the the woman police officer, what was her name? Oh, I can't remember, Terrence Crutcher, the man that, yes, was, that was killed. When people were expecting Tulsa to Yeah, erupt to erupt, or when Trump came to town, yeah. you know, they were expecting Tulsa. I mean, all the predictions were it's going to blow up, and it didn't. And a lot of times we just gloss right over it. Like we could be saying, man, they're just now getting our city back under control because different factions who were carrying assault rifles got in a fight in the streets and that spilled over and then yeah. they killed the wrong, not that you ever kill the right person, but you kill yeah. the significant person. Well, then these other people come to town and all of a sudden, you know, we're under National Guard. It's so easy. Suddenly Rome comes down. Yeah, know, suddenly, exactly. Yeah. And the National Guard is covering yeah. the streets and we can't go. I mean, we could be telling such a different story. Um, and one of the things that I know is that, man, people have been praying about Tulsa. There's a contingent of people that are constantly praying about these very dynamics in Tulsa. And, but at the end of the day, we were really rescued from such horrific things. And so it's funny because the implication then is who gave, well, we know this, who gave the Pharisees the intelligence they had? Yes, they were misusing that intelligence, but the very strategy that allowed there not to be this riot that came from intelligence God provided. Now, that same intelligence was misused, and then you lead, it leads to the death of Jesus. So, man, that is mind-blowing to me. Th- this whole line of thinking, I could go another 30 minutes just, what about this and what about that? But, yeah, that, that is a fascinating perplexion. Yeah, no, it really is. And and I think this is one of those things that, like, that we like we, we can realize so much time we just kind of go through our life, right? Cause, because nothing happened last weekend, like, I, you know— I, it doesn't even think like I think I thought about it before of like I wonder if something's gonna happen but because something didn't happen in our city it, like I'm just like well it didn't happen so it, it was it was never going to happen right um, but the reality is man we are always living on a knife's edge and like we know you know we know when something happens when somebody gets on car wreck how fragile the human body is and how fragile like <laughs> it's so funny because like we have this sense that our lives are so set but when something blows it up we begin to realize man how fragile life is and how fragile um, how fragile our, our our existence is and when things like the coronavirus happen or when man there are riots that happen because of police brutality and 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 all this stuff we begin to realize man our society is not as structured as we thought our society isn't as um isn't as on firm foundation as we previously believed and i think this is one of those things um that we could choose to live out of fear for or we can go man do we have a god that's magnificent enough 
to begin to weave and to begin to, if we trust in him and if we believe in him, we have a God that's, that can weave these things in and out together. Um, and that, how he does that is a perplexing nature and how it actually plays out. Um, that, that's going to take somebody with a lot more IQ points than I have to, to begin to, to think through. But I think that there is... There is some comfort there, right? Of like the fair. This is so funny. The Pharisees, like you said, are being they're being smart, right? They're figuring out when is the best time to kill God, and they avoid a riot, but they still kill the Son of God. Like that. Like that. That is such a that is such a great um, picture of what human planning can get you, right? We avoid the riot, but we kill God. Um, I, I wonder if that's gonna be the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like it. I like it. Yeah. And my takeaway today is. And it's just this constant dynamic, but it's it's always true and always needed. If God could work through that mess, mm-hmm. why am I scared he won't work through the mess I'm in now? Mm-hmm. You no, know, yeah, it's very compelling. And I think about the nature of where we find ourselves. There's a lot of, um, I think, angst over where Christianity is in America in 2021. And I think for some reason, for some places, I think that's warranted and good and right to be, to have some angst over it. But I also think... There's a lot, we can find some peace and some comfort in this, that this is nothing new, right? This is something that Christianity, like we said, like we kind of maybe started off the beginning of the episode. This is something that Christianity has been dealing with since the very beginning. Not like, like even before the beginning of, of, of our, of our religion, if you will. And that's both, I, it's, it's hard, right? Because it's, these are hard things, but it's also beautiful to know that through that God is still working and weaving and willing um, and the fact that God doesn't do away with us, God doesn't do away with the um, <laughs> with the church as a whole, is just is just miraculous. So, thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love.